0: Hello! Welcome to Pictures and Popcorn. I'm Matt. And I'm Lennit, and today we're going to be talking about Knives Out. Um, not only that, we're also going to discuss whether or not spoilers for films actually can ruin the experience. And Matt gets offended at me for not knowing who, Foghorn, Leghorn, or Longhorn. That's a testament to the fact that I don't know. It's
1: Foghorn Leghorn, you bastard. <laughs> so, uh, Knives Out. It's
0: good. I like it. It's
1: good. In a nutshell, it's Daniel Craig doing a Foghorn Leghorn impression while trying to solve a mystery of a dead old man.
0: Yeah, which I... I am so sorry about this, but I thought it was Michael Caine for a lot longer than I should have. Well, the old man? (laughs) Yeah... (laughs) Wow. I, th- I, ge- I genuinely think it's because on uh, Letterboxd the artwork for it is always slightly small, so he's in the artwork, and I just my brain just went, oh, that's Michael Caine, <laughs> and I just stored that at the back of my brain, and then when I eventually came around to watch it, like I'd already filled in that that was what his face was. Nope, it is absolutely not.
1: Yeah, you just assumed it was Michael Caine.
0: Yeah, and it absolutely is not.
1: <laughs> no, no. So I don't think I've seen the actor who played Harlan Thrombey. According to this cast list, it's Christopher Plummer
0: It is indeed Christopher Plummer
1: I'm almost certain I'll have probably seen in something And
0: it's absolutely not
1: It's definitely not Michael Caine, I can guarantee that But no, I thought the cast was really good Because it was a variety of, like, recognisable people
0: It was a huge ensemble
1: I spent the entire film Trying to remember where I'd seen The actor who played Walt before
0: Is it Kangaroo Jack?
1: What, Michael Shannon was in Kangaroo Jack?
0: Michael Shannon is like the the Darth Vader of the bad guy in Kangaroo Jack. <laughs> the Darth Vader of Kangaroo Jack. Yeah, no, so that. So <laughs> yeah, because in Kangaroo Jack, there is like a, a bad guy who I think's like kind of like a mob boss kind of thing. And then there's his little sidekick that he actually sends to go do the dirty deed. So he's the Darth Vader of, <laughs> of Kangaroo Jack.
1: Yeah, if you want to roll with that allegory. I do. No, I recognized him because he was um, General Zod in Man of Steel. Oh, okay. That was where I'd seen him before.
0: I haven't seen Man of Steel, and I honestly don't plan to. It, it was all right. Okay,
1: okay. Man of Steel was all right. But how was Knives Out? Knives Out, it was very good. Good, good. It was very, very good. <laughs> I uh, overall enjoyed it. Yeah, good. I wasn't a huge fan of the, say, like, the first act it did what it needed to do. It needed to set things up. It did a lot of exposition with the interviews, and it demonstrated a lot of good points.
0: You mean, like, the montage? Like, the montage of the interviews? Yeah. Oh, see, I really liked it. I, It felt a
1: bit clunky being thrown straight into it. Mm. I don't know. Like, that's just my, my personal thing was that it took me a, a while to get used to. I, like, I appreciate what it did, and it was probably the best way it could have been done. Mm-hmm. I just... Like, once it got past that, the rest of the film, it flowed great. It just felt like it was, I think because it was darting back and forth, and I'm used to, like, in, say, like, a whodunit or a mystery, like the interrogation thing coming a little bit later, more towards, like, the middle of a film.
0: Yeah, it's normally, it kind of plays out, plays out, plays out, they find the dead body, then all of a sudden it's the interrogation thing or, you know, whatever. Whereas this was, it started with that.
1: Yeah, and then it sort of worked backwards from that, which was good because you had sort of had the same point of view as the private detective and as the police like okay here's a dead body and you find out everything as they do kind of
0: yeah um so i liked it just because i think uh, it they managed to work in a few jokes in there which i think was really really nice mm. um like the i think it was when uh ben Blanc um first started actually it came to the forefront and then started asking questions and it was like um he was hinting to try and get them to, like, backstab each other to try and give information on their other siblings. And Jim Lee Curtis's character was like, you are not going to do this. You are not going to just say things so that I then start backstabbing my own family. Like, you're not going to do it, and I'm not going to do it. And then it just cuts to, um, it's not Wallet, is it? it? I think it was uh, Richard. It's her
1: husband, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, so her husband, Richard. Um, who then just starts slagging everybody off. I thought, I thought that was a nice little thing. And that joke wouldn't have worked if the montage, um, like, jump cut almost wasn't established throughout the rest of it. But at the same time, I, I liked it anyway.
1: Yeah, if it wasn't doing the interviews simultaneously, then a lot of the things wouldn't have been as impactful. Like, one of the things I really liked throughout the film was the way it demonstrated how unreliable of a narrator everyone was
0: hmm yeah, like, the, that cake scene.
1: Yeah, and that, um, that wouldn't have been as impactful had it been complete all of Jamie Lee Curtis's interview, okay, complete all of Michael Shannon's interview, okay, complete everyone else's interview. It wouldn't have had that comedic value to it either.
0: hmm Yeah, that's true. And I, it, I genuinely had, like, laughs throughout the entire thing, which I think was really nice, especially because it's not trying to be a comedy. It's just also funny. Um, yeah, it was a good mix. Yeah, I agree, and... You know, can we talk about how absolutely fantastic Daniel Craig is? <sighs> I loved it so much.
1: <laughs> I, I, right. He did a good performance. Oh, are
0: you going to say you didn't like it?
1: I hated his accent. Oh. I hated it. The moment I first heard it, it just sucked me out of the film. It felt like really over the top at first because I knew what Daniel Craig sounds like. Yeah, naturally. I've never seen the James Bond film, but like I've seen clips of him. Yeah, i've seen other segments of him in things i've heard his voice before mm-hmm. and as a person i'm not a fan of him of what i've seen of his personality it does seem a bit of a prick but you know it was a good performance but the accent just wasn't for me
0: so everyone seems to mention the foghorn like thing longhorn whatever it is
1: yeah the giant rooster from looney tunes
0: but i i'm unaware of every time that that character in that accent is mentioned i'm totally unaware of what that is what the closest that i could I know. i apologize the closest i could relate you ever seen to, looney tunes yeah but i don't know the, what that character is um the closest i could relate it to is that vine that really really popular vine of uh i think it's like a pasta just going wah 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 <laughs> that's all i could get like that's all that was in my head when he was doing what? the entire thing <laughs> you've not seen it, I apologise because that was completely out of, like, context.
1: Why? 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 Um, no, like, so... I, I just need to, like, so you... Falcon Lakehorn, he's the giant rooster from in Looney Tunes.
0: Yeah, no, I... I, I think I know what that looks like, but... Yeah, no. I, I haven't seen as much Looney Tunes as you probably think I have. I guess. Where is this is this audible disappointment. Like, I, I can't see you, but, but I can feel it. I'm just taking a
1: long sip of, of judgment. <laughs>
0: <sighs> okay, so we found out that you dislike, for whatever reason, Daniel Craig and his accent.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I thought he did a great job in the film. Other than that, like I really liked his character... To say I didn't like Daniel Craig, he really pulled me around.
0: Yeah, I think it really channeled, like, the kind of, like, the Poirot kind of thing. Um, I like that they
1: didn't set it up to be, like, a, like, you know how in, say, like, a Poirot film or something like that, they'll always have a lot of mystery around the, the private investigator. They'll always have them as some sort of, like, legacy figure, like, they're absolutely legendary, like...
0: Yeah, it's like every everyone knows who they are, Yeah, but like this, it was like... There
1: was that in this, Yeah, like there was the, the, he's a bit of a household name, but it wasn't that he steps through the door, everyone stops and turns and looks as like the wind whistles through the silence, it was just, yeah, he's, he's here.
0: Yeah, if anything, they did the exact opposite, like it was at the back of the scene, yeah, I, th- I think that was quite nice. It was also, they gave like a few little bits of backstory to do with who he is, but they fully just let the story play out and his character let kind of spoke for itself rather than feeling the need to give backstory or anything at all
1: yeah yeah it was good because they didn't like overwhelm you with irrelevant exposition which was another thing i liked about the film which is that everyone and everything had a purpose everything intercut everything crossed over everyone had a role to play hmm which I really liked and like the attention to detail with like little things and a lot of the symbolisms I really liked. Yeah. Symbolisms.
0: Symbolisms. A lot of the symbolism I really
1: liked. Oh, one thing I do want to mention is that like a week ago we were discussing the trope of when someone is discussing a plan and while that plan is being discussed, you can see it Mm -hmm. like being undergoing on screen. Yeah. Or well, like the person who is like running the plan, who is in charge of everything. They're dishing out instructions as that is happening. Yeah. You're watching it happen on screen, and then it happened in the movie, and I was just like,
0: <sighs> "Yeah." So, so for better context, when we when we were talking about this, you specifically said that you didn't like it in films because. Um you don't know whether or not this is hypothetical or they're actually doing it as they're talking through it. Like if they go, oh, this is what the plan's gonna be. We're gonna enter the building here. We're gonna blow a big hole here. We're gonna kill this person here. And then we're gonna steal all the money. And if on screen you're seeing that happen, like you don't know whether or not it's the hypothetical that you're just kind of watching, like they're they're imagining it as um, it's been said or whether or not that is actually happening and you're just seeing it in advance.
1: Yeah, like, it's been done both ways. Knives Out did it alright, because I felt like it was pretty obvious that that's what was happening.
0: Yes, um, and for the most part, when it did that, it was doing it for the, the flashbacks. Yes, exactly. Um, so when it did it the one time that it was technically, like, real time, I guess, um, it kind of already worked because we were already used to that style of, um, almost, narration.
1: Yeah, um, just as a... It just it brought to mind how much I, I feel like it's just been overdone in both ways. And how it just sort of, I always feel distracted by it because it's like, right, does this actually matter? Or is this going to be made irrelevant when I'm back to square one and they're still in the planning room? However, uh, you know, in this context, it was, you know, it, it, it wasn't bad.
0: Yeah, and they'd already taught you that there's a chance that what you're seeing is uh, not entirely real. Like with the cake thing, like they, they physically show you two people stood next to Harlan as he's getting his birthday cake. And then, literally, the scene after, they show two different people stood next to Harlan as he gets his birthday cake. They've already taught you that maybe what you're seeing isn't entirely true, so that if they did do that kind of subversion of, oh, this is actually hypothetical and not how it really happened, it wouldn't matter because they've already taught you that maybe these things aren't real. Yeah. So that kind of, I guess, is the first act. I mean, like, I I watched this twice, and on the second time I tried to kind of break down kind of the segment, and I broke it down to, like, basically four. There's, like, the first uh, interrogation segment, and then there's the time when um, we find out that Marta actually killed Harlan. And there's a, a, an entire section of, like, the police investigation kind of going off, still at the house, while she's desperately trying to cover up any kind of trace that it was actually her. Then there's the complete genre change and it's not a Who Done It anymore. It's just kind of like a, almost like a crime thriller of her trying to run away and um, just doing her best to get away. And there's actually a setting change there because um, they're not at the house anymore. And then there's like the fourth act, which is um, back at the house. It's, it's a Who Done It again, except you don't really realize it's a whodunit Done It again because they've just uh, subverted everything because what they told you was the answer is actually not the answer.
1: Yeah brings me on to an interesting point which I will I'll, I'll talk about in a bit but um I I wasn't a fan of the the outcome I felt like out of everyone he's his involvement was the most predictable like if you've lined up all the characters uh I to- sorry I'm talking about Ransom and his involvement in the death of
0: Harlan Hugh Ransom first name is hugh and that i guess is relevant yeah
1: i felt that hugh's involvement with the murder was the least surprising bit of it like it wasn't much of a twist it was like oh, okay the guy that's an asshole is he is an asshole okay whereas everyone else it was interesting because it showed their more aggressive natures and colors the moment they realized they were being denied their fortune so later on in the film there's the will reading where the whole family finds out that Harlan has changed his will a week before his death, and that none of his family will be receiving anything. In fact, all of his estate, all of his companies and his stocks will be going to martyr his nurse, his longtime nurse and carer and friend. Um, And all of the family is outraged by this. They're disgusted that their father, their loving father, who supported them in building their own projects and starting from the ground up, would do this to them. Despite the fact that throughout the film they've been flaunting how self-made they are, and how valuable they are as an individual with their independence now it's at the point where they've realized that they're not getting anything from their father ever again and they flip out they turn on martyr, and they're disgusted that this outsider has been given their their home their this entire fortune and I thought it could have been really interesting to do something more with them I found it I don't know
0: see on on watching it, like I, um, for the second time, I was specifically paying attention to Ransom and how he reacted to things, knowing that I, like, I now knew that he knew what was going on all along, or at least sort of until the confession that Marta actually says, Oh, yeah, I switched the vials, which then means he now has realized that they've actually been switched back, which means his initial plan um, has kind of gone tits up. So, like, I was yeah. watching his reactions to things because it was like, when like the will reading happened, what did ransom do? Because he knew that was coming.
1: Yeah, he just laughed. He laughed and then walked out. And he
0: genuinely, he's chuffed and then just walks off because he didn't come to see the will reading. He, I, I think, just came to. He almost rub, wanted to rub it in. He wanted to see their reaction of that disappointment. Yeah, um which I think works really nicely. Like the reason why he turns up at the will reading is just eating biscuits and he's just having a good time and then they start arguing and he's still enjoying himself is because he came to see them all argue. They were arguing before he even needed him, like, before he'd even thought that they would.
1: This is, this is the point where I'm going to mention that I, I did have it spoiled for me. Oh, did you really? That Ransom was involved, Yeah. Um, it was on like a Reddit post. Ah. I just saw a picture of Chris Evans being arrested, um, and I was like, "Well, shit." Oh. Um, so like this was like a week ago as well. It was just up until the point I was finally about to watch it.
0: Oh, that's really unfortunate because we spent so many months. Yeah. Like saying, "Oh, we need to watch Knives Out," and we need to watch Knives Out, and then didn't. And if we had, yeah.
1: I was probing Chloe, my partner, who was watching the film with me. I was probing her for her views and her reactions on it, and she was picking up on a lot of it. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, that's." It's interesting it could be them or it could be someone else <laughs> um and like sort of i don't know and that sort of led me to the point of view that it did seem kind of obvious that he would be involved with it
0: so i, I was slightly on the other side with that because um like I, the only real spoiler i had for this was that it has a genre change um i saw there was a youtube video that yeah. i didn't watch but the title was enough it was like how knives out changes genres The title is actually How Knives Out Changes Genres Twice. Um, But I totally ignored that and was just like, "Ah, so it changes genres. So when there's that bit in the middle and it turns out that Marta was actually the person that killed him, she didn't mean to, but he wanted to pick it as a suicide. And then it turns into a Mm. bit of like, a she's trying to cover up her tracks. And then there's like the thriller element of she's going to get caught, she's running away. There's this now like anonymous um, person who's like trying to almost blackmail her. I thought, oh, we've given up on the who done it thing. Like, we were doing the it thing. Like, it turns out it's her, so we've moved on. So I wasn't expecting yeah. it to come back and have the normal twist that you have in it. So I was just fully in the thing of, okay, so Marta did it. This is now a different style of film. So I wasn't expecting it. So I didn't even think that it was possible that Ransom could have done it because I thought they'd given up on that. Yeah. And- which then was really, really nice when they did go back to it being a It, and it turned out there was that twist and you got that satisfaction and there was the whole, oh yeah, all these things that we've been showing you up to now, there's this one bit of information that's going to turn everything on its head. When we actually got that, I got that full satisfaction that you do get from It, literally because I wasn't expecting it at all.
1: See, cause I'm in two minds, because like I was saying that I was a bit, not surprised, but a bit underwhelmed by it being Ransom's involvement in his death. But another one of the things that I liked that the film did strongly was that the evidence was there. The solution was like littered, and there was like a crumb trail throughout the film. So when it happened, when the revealed was there, you already knew everything that was being told you. It had just been rearranged by Blanc. Yeah, and it meant that it didn't feel like an ass pull. That the you know that the resolution wasn't absolutely out of nowhere. It was like oh yeah, we heard that. Oh yeah, they said that. Oh yeah, we we knew all of these things. We had all of
0: these pieces. Yeah. There's even they even do the the prestige thing of literally telling you it, um, pretty mm. pretty mm. bang on. <laughs> There's a bit with um, the dogs where Marta is trying to cover up her tracks, um, on the bit of mud that is there, and um, she is like she opens the gate. Oh no, the gate's already open because whoopsie is she forgot to close it on her way out. Um, so she's trying to cover up her tracks and then. Uh, two two of the dogs, like the guard dogs that are there, run to her and she's, like, stroking them or whatever, and Benoit says dogs are a great judge of character.
1: Yeah, like, the dogs don't bark at her.
0: Literally the next scene is the scene yeah. that uh, Chris Evans turns up and they are aggressive towards him. They're the only, He's the only character that the dogs are aggressive to in the entire film.
1: Yeah, that was the thing that I picked up on.
0: Like, that is literally them saying, this guy's the bad guy, and... Like, I, I just kind of gloss over that side of stuff because I'm thinking, all oh, right, yeah, okay, he's going to be some form of antagonist. No, he was actually the entire bad guy, even at that point in the story because all of this was pre-planned by him, sort of.
1: Yeah, I um, like I liked that as well because there was the bit earlier on where they were running through the accounts of people going up and down stairs and Jamie Lee Curtis's character said she was woke by the dogs barking and then it showed Marta sneaking into the house and it was like, hold on, the dogs didn't bark at her. Mm-hmm. And then when Ransom turned up at the house in the car and the dogs were barking at him, it was like, right, okay, he must have gone back to the house at some point then. There must have been something involving him at the house. Yeah. So it's little stuff like that that was, like, that was there.
0: Yeah, which it kind of has to be to make this worth it, otherwise they are just pulling the rug from under your feet. Oh, yeah. To pull it back a little bit, um, I think... The actual, for, for the entirety of the film, like the entire kind of, the tone, the soundtrack, the colour grading, the um, cinematography, I think all of it was awesome too. Like as much yeah. as this film is, it's about the story. It was also kind of gorgeous and sounded great.
1: Yeah, I have uh, never seen Daniel Craig's eyes, so dazzlingly blue.
0: Odd that you should say that, because it's, his eyes are always something that I notice in his films. Oh. Like it looks almost like... Like, when they're trying to make you look a little bit alien. um, Like, that's just what he looks like. But yeah, they enhanced it, I guess, a little bit. Like what they do on The Apprentice, for some reason. Um, what? Yeah, on all of the the Alan Sugar scenes in The Apprentice, so you know when they're in the boardroom, they...
1: For some reason, I I mixed up The Apprentice and Dragon's Den. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, no, no, on. The
0: Apprentice. Um, yeah, they edit everyone's pupils to be really, really vibrant, for some reason. Um... How bizarre! Yeah, super, super bizarre. So, yeah, all of that was awesome. And there was also a nice kind of bookending, um, as in like it starts with a scene with the um, like the housemaid, what whatever job role she, she has, um, making like a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, whatever mm-hmm. to take up to um, Harlan. The mug is, um, I guess, sort of relevant. It's the my house, my rules, my coffee. I think it says. Yeah, something like that. Which then, the last shot of the entire film, um, Marta is stood on the balcony looking down at the other siblings. Um, well, all of the siblings that are no longer in the house while she drinks from the coffee mug that says, my house, my rules, my coffee, because she now owns this house and they can't do anything about it. Um, which I thought was quite nice. It was a nice little start and finish. Um, yeah. That kind of rounded it off quite nicely. And it was a nice middle finger to them because it is her house and her rules and her coffee.
1: One thing that I wanted to discuss mm-hmm. was your opinion on the impact of spoilers going into a movie. Okay. So obviously I knew that to an extent Chris Evans was involved in this. Yes. In the In the finale of it. I knew he was involved because I saw the screenshot of him getting arrested. Mm-hmm um but obviously that meant that throughout the film on my because i've only seen the film once but you've seen the film twice haven't you yeah yeah so there was stuff that i picked up on the first viewing of the film that i might not have necessarily seen because i could have been drawn into it trying to connect the dots you
0: know context is important and your context was different from what it should have been
1: yeah exactly i already had that knowledge that this individual isn't innocent this individual is involved with the plot so even when it was the reveal that Marta had given him the wrong dosage, or so she thought, um, I was still thinking, right, how does Chris Evans' character fit into
0: this? Yeah, how you, is that you were involved? Physically, you knew what the end was. So you were just trying to arrange the pieces to find it out, rather than what you're supposed to yeah. do, which is um, you don't know what the end is, so you've got all of these puzzle pieces and you're trying to fit them together. You knew the yeah. end goal
1: exactly because there's like there's studies that show people get more satisfaction from knowing an ending to a film and watching it than going in completely blind and i i
0: hate that so much
1: (laughs) like i think there is some truth to it but at the same time i do think it can in my opinion anyway it can severely affect the overall experience like this for example i would have preferred granted my first viewing there was a lot of stuff i picked up on that like I could have got on a second or third viewing.
0: Yeah, but I think that's the point, though. Like, you should be able to have multiple viewings and learn more things. Like, your first, you, can't, you can't have the first viewing anymore. You just, you aren't allowed to have that. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like, you could, get, you could get that first viewing of the mystery and the intrigue of trying to unwind it all, and then you can go back again and get those extra layers. Whereas I was sort of forced into those later stages because I'd already had that spoilers. Yeah. And for me it was more just trying to... But I was at points getting drawn out because it was like, right, how is this going to work? But yeah, like another example of when I had like just completely segueing now. Um, another film that I had spoiled for me before I'd been to see it was when The Force Awakens was in cinemas. I was about to leave my house to go to the cinema. I was waiting for my partner to come downstairs so we could leave. And I was scrolling through social media and I saw a meme that just spoiled half of the plots of the film. Um, like half of the plot points of the film. You know, it was talking about um, Keller and being Ben Solo and murdering Han Solo, his father. To which I just responded, fuck.
0: Yeah, I hate it so much.
1: And then went to the film and it was like, like it was interesting because those, other than Han Solo's death, the plot points in that film weren't hidden. They were like, the first half an hour, you knew it was, he was a solo, you knew he was Hanley's son, but still you lose that opportunity to have that first viewing So for
0: me, like the important thing here is like, whoever's making the film, obviously I guess it's kind of the director that's going to be taking um, the, the lead here. It's like they have a way that they want to give you information, whether it's just blanket exposition or whether it's physical plot points. They've, like, meticulously laid out how they want to present you with that information. In a film like this, it's specific um, to the mystery and how it unravels. And then things like trailers, which is why I never watch trailers, like, they undo all of that because they're just like, oh, we need to make this like a two minute video to make the film look really, really cool. So we'll put in that really cool moment and that really cool moment. So then you're going into the film already knowing things that you shouldn't know yet so that when things are revealed to you in the in the order that they want it to be revealed to you to have the best experience, you already know some of them. Sometimes it's later things. So you don't have that experience like you didn't because you already knew that Ransom yeah. had had to have done it because you've seen him be arrested.
1: I think the, the best approach to trailers and to promotions of films that I've ever seen would have been the last two Avengers films, Infinity War and Endgame. Because mm-hmm. not only did they have altered footage, they had footage that wasn't even in the film. They had. I like that. Um, they specifically kept it to certain timeframes within the film. So when it came to Endgame, they only showed footage from the first 20 minutes of the film in the trailer of this three hour film. And there's a lot of stuff that happened in that film, a lot of spectacle, a lot of stuff that could have sold the movie. But granted by that point, the movie had already, it sells itself, just the title, Infinity War was massive. I don't think there's been a cinematic event on the same scale. So that sold tickets. And then with that ending on the cliffhanger, it's like, okay, clearly people are gonna come back and see Endgame. So granted they had the opportunity that they didn't, this wasn't a small indie film that they had to sell to audiences. They didn't have to show the highlights of the films, the best bits to draw audiences in, because they knew that the, the tickets were good as sold, let's face it. Yeah,
0: well, I, that's you've just kind of hit the nail on the head there, though, it's like they didn't do that because they didn't need to, so it kind of sucks for the films that have to kind of prove themselves and therefore put up some spoilery things in trailers. I can't give you examples because I actively avoid them. (laughs) But like, I I know um, they exist because they're the reason why I stopped watching them.
1: And like, they didn't need to. And I do have respect for them that they didn't do that. Like specifically the people that made those films were like, no, we're not going to show spoilers because we want people to enjoy these films which is it's good and then like with the star wars films they didn't do anything like that they just like cut trailers
0: together did the trailers i think the issue with star wars is that i i thought the palpatine thing was gonna be a huge spoiler that he was in the trailer and then the opening crawl just mentions him which is a yeah. whole other thing that i i could i could go on for hours about but... um
1: one of one of the trailers like dropped the bombshell that Palpatine had been all these voices in Kylo's heads the entire trilogy. Like that was in the trailer, and I was like, "Holy shit! This is a big plot point. Why is it in the trailer?" Oh, it's the first scene of the movie. Yeah,
0: awful. What? I hate it.
1: Um. But yeah, so that's sort of so for going back to Knives Out,
0: <laughs> the film we're actually talking about.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. So because of obviously that knowledge, there's other little things like there was a scene where it was in Harlan's study when Harlan and Marta were talking. They were chatting about the family. When the camera is panning around Harlan, there's a knife on the desk that passes almost through his neck as he begins talking about Ransom. Which I thought was very clever.
0: I didn't know that. That's good.
1: Um, it's literally just like the camera pans across and as he begins talking about him, it reaches his neck and it like just passes through very slowly.
0: That's neat. I like that.
1: It's on like, the, you know, the little side table next to him. Yeah, yeah. And it's then that he he, like, he picks up the knife and he's talking about that only a fool wouldn't be able to know a real one from a fake, which is also a nice little payoff. Which
0: sets up the ending really nice. Yeah. yeah. The, the little squeak that it does is so funny. <laughs> yeah um, they're on about i watched the um for the second run through i actually watched the direct uh, not the director's cut co- the director's commentary um so yeah. i was paying attention to what was going on but it was more they were just kind of talking about how they made it and all those kind of things and they were on about that they like i th- I think they kind of meticulously um did that little bit to try and get the best comedy like they tried loads of different kind of pacing things to try and do that okay they're falling they're falling they're falling they're in the knife's in it slowly lifts
1: oh that was another thing i picked up throughout the film so ransom was always referred to as like the black sheep of the family Mm -hmm. um that was like dropped throughout the film but he was also wearing like woolen jumpers all throughout like 90 Ah, percent of his outfit yeah um but like it was nice because he was also the villain so he was literally like a wolf in sheep's clothing
0: oh that's good i like that
1: yeah which i thought was a neat little i wonder
0: if that was on purpose because apparently again because of the director's commentary you know the um the the sculpture of all the knives um yeah that has been referred to as the the knife donut and obviously there's the the donut monologue i'm glad i'm not the only
1: one because like on my notes i literally referred to it as the circle slash donut of knives
0: yes that wasn't um actually intentional they didn't they didn't intend for the knife circle sculpture to have any relevance to the donut speech and for it to really? have any kind of thing. Mainly because Ryan Johnson didn't know whether or not it was going to keep the donut bit in. Like on the day oh, shooting, I saw that. he yeah. was talking to Daniel Craig about, I, I don't know whether or not like this donut thing's a bit too cheesy. Is it a bit crap? And then Daniel Craig was like, oh, let's roll with it. And I, I assume they did takes with it and takes without it.
1: Yeah, I heard that it was because Daniel Craig like, did it so good that he sold him on it. Like it was his performance that sold him on it.
0: That would make sense because he's fantastic in this i really really like him in this
1: um but yeah it's funny you say that as well because like the placement of the family around the the donut during the interrogations was interesting because only marta was sat in the middle during the interrogations Mm -hmm. only her seat was positioned in the center of the donut everyone else was sat to the side of it as if they were involved but not quite they weren't in the center of the donut uh, which i quite like cause there's a lot of things throughout that throughout the film that are just
0: nice attention to details aren't there? they're like they have put the effort into the visuals here
1: yeah and that's like um Ransom's outfits and his belongings they're high value high-end clothing high-end cars but they're all just worn like he just doesn't care he splashes the cash and then that's it mm-hmm. like he just he's got fancy jumpers with holes in he doesn't he doesn't give a shit.
0: Maybe it's because he doesn't, have, he doesn't have enough money to pay for them, which is why he needs the will.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, another thing with the attention to detail is, like, Harlan's laptop. It was a very wealthy old man still had a laptop running Windows XP. You know, like, little things like that. Like, my granddad had a PC in his household, and that was a Windows 95 PC because it was a simpler, simpler operating system. So that was a, that's a realistic thing to do. Yeah, he's a millionaire, but... He's still getting on he's still you know so he needs that simplicity with his things and that was a just a nice little touch i saw it and i was like oh that's that's pretty great
0: probably took a decent amount of effort to actually do that as well like it's it wouldn't be easy to get
1: what put windows xp on the laptop
0: yeah to get an older thing together to then make a film it would actually be easier for him to just get a brand new thing and they didn't so um to i guess give it a nice round off what did um, you give it out of 10?
1: Uh, 8 out of 10, I'd say.
0: I, I give it a 9. Um, I I understand why you would rate it lower than I would. Um, like, I had a, probably a better first experience watching it, literally, because I didn't know the twist. So when the twist came, it was like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Um, like, I really, really like Daniel Craig in every capacity including his accent and the wow thing (laughs) i i just really really like it um i thought the ensemble cast was fantastic um i thought that for what i think is her first proper big budget lead role um anna de armas did like mint like she wasn't overshadowed by these huge actors um and I, yeah, I liked all of it. The only reason why it's not 10 out of 10 is because of emotional connection. I guess it didn't... I don't love it as much as I love the other films that I give 10 out of 10. That's literally the only reason. Everything technically and, um, I guess, physically about the film, I couldn't fall and love um, 9 out of 10, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, like I'd, I'd give it an 8 out of 10. Cause it was a good film. And, like and For me, it was still a little bit flawed in the ways that i previously said like i sort of but that could have been tainted by obviously my knowledge beforehand of going into the film of what was coming but i mean even with that in mind it wasn't a bad film it was a very enjoyable film it was very well done and looking at it in the mindset of out of my point of view i had my partner to gauge a lot of things and we were very much sort of on the same wavelength so yeah i'd say eight out of ten for me definitely
0: cool so i There's rumours, I don't don't know how confirmed they are, there's rumours of a potential, like, Benoit Blanc sequel, um, I assume with an entirely new cast, but with him, I am so down for that. Like, if this turns it into, basically, like, a movie version of, like, the Poirot kind of thing, but it's actually just entirely movie form, I am down for that, because I I think he's so great. Um, And, like, it's nice seeing Daniel Craig not as James Bond, and, like... Even in something like um, Layer Cake, he's still the same kind of character. In this, oh he's not and I love it so much. I'm down.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like One of the first thoughts I had when I was watching this, I was like, I wonder if they're going to expand it, if they're going to build other films on from this. Obviously, like you said, it wasn't be the same character. It would be that sort of the Poirot type mythos where it's this one man going around solving all these mysteries and I think the pieces are there. They've got enough with like ryan johnson did such a good job on this film that there's no reason why he shouldn't do more
0: yeah it's just a case of like i guess the the subversion that happens in this film and the subversion that ryan johnson likes to put in most of the things that he does um can't really carry on through to sequels unless you subvert in a different way in which case everyone's expecting a subversion so like you know it, it might not work as well to do a sequel, so I'm fine with not. Yeah. But I'm also fine with a sequel because I, I just want to see more of him. <laughs> I think he's great.
1: <laughs> right, uh, I think that ties up knives out then.
0: Okay, that's it. Thank you very much for listening. If you are listening to this on Spotify, a follow would be very much appreciated.
1: Alternatively, you can check us out on letterboxd or Twitter, where you can listen to us chat more shit about anything and everything. So thank you for listening and we will catch you next time.
0: Bye-bye.